This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 18th of August 2021. I feel as if I've been away for a month, Tegan. I know, it's only been two days, Norman, but has it been enough to completely refresh and rejuvenate you and you're never going to need a holiday again? Absolutely. I'm just raring to go. (laughs) Well, that's what we want to hear. So let's solve COVID today, Norman. You've been talking to one of the top global authorities on virology, and he happens to be based here in Australia, um, Professor Eddie Holmes, who's been talking about different possibilities scenarios on how COVID might evolve and change over the coming years. Yes, and just to put Eddie Holmes in context, he is a world authority on viral evolution. He was the person who released the genome of SARS-CoV-2 to the world, having got it from um, his colleagues in China and has been following it closely since. He does lots of other work, but COVID has been taking his time as well. By the way, he's got a way of, he's got a prediction of our way out of the pandemic. Well, I'll come back to that later. So he has been surprised by Delta. He didn't predict it. He's calling this pandemic 2.0. In other words, the rules have changed. Just with the Delta variant. Just with the Delta variant. It's not something that he thought. And he basically says it's very hard to create scenarios based on what you know before because there's not been a virus like COVID before. Um, so it really has, he really has shifted his thinking. So rather than having one prediction, he's got three scenarios that he thinks about for the future. The worst case scenario is one where we just get to we just get round the corner and boom, another horrible variant hits us, and then we just get round another corner, boom, another variant hits us. So we're constantly fighting against variants which are more and more contagious, more and more virulent, more and more vaccine resistant. The best case scenario is that COVID nineteen turns into the common cold, and it's just like a mild influenza. So it might still be transmissible, but it's not it's not causing a severe disease. It, it's in the background. We don't worry about it. But he think, but he's got a middle ground scenario, which he thinks is the most likely, which is is kind of like influenza, where we build up some sort of resistance to it with a reasonably effective vaccine, and after a little while, it reemerges with a new variant surges and then we develop a new vaccine and it goes away again. So that's sort of, if you like, roller coaster to some extent over time. So he thinks that's that's the that's the most likely scenario of our way out of it. But he he when I asked him about New South Wales, he basically thinks the the bus has long gone for New South Wales. It's going to be very difficult for New South Wales to pull back. And our vaccination is really the way through in terms of hospitalizations and severe infections. Mm. So with these these three scenarios that he was talking about, what kind of timescale are we looking at here? Is it two years, five years, 50 years? Um, he wasn't willing to commit because I think a lot of this is affected by vaccination. And now, Norman, you promised he also has a way out of the pandemic. I think we'd better hear about that one as well. Yeah, this is a paper he's got coming out in science with a group of colleagues uh, from around the world. And this... Uh, paper looks at vaccination policies and what's going to get us through this and and what they know about vir- this, viral, this virus's evolution. And he says the way through this is to actually, and we've said this before, but he's got the science and the modelling in the paper to actually show it, 
is that you have to vaccinate the world. So rich nations have got to share their vaccines with poorer nations who are not yet vaccinating because the more transmission, the more mutations you get and the more likelihood, the greater the likelihood of new variants arising. So sharing vaccines and making sure the globe is immunised is our way through this pandemic. And until you get to that point, you're in a precarious situation. It's always been a really tricky thing, hasn't it? Like countries have, uh, well, I think their citizens expect them to prioritise the people in the country first before prioritising the world, even though global, from a global perspective, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, some places are talking about booster shots, having third doses for certain groups. How do you balance this um, desire to keep your, popula- your country's population as protected as possible while also protecting our global population for their benefit and also for all of our benefit? Yeah, I mean, he, we didn't address that. I think that the, solu- the answer there is you only go to third doses when you're sure that they're absolutely needed. And that's still an open question, even though they're moving towards that in uh, Israel. Now, the other thing that we talked about is, and it's just emerging now, is that the world doesn't stand still and other respiratory viruses have been changing. So we've noticed, and we've said it before in Coronacast, influenza has dropped to very, very low levels. There's just been a few hundred cases in Australia this year, whereas two years ago there were 300,000 cases of influenza in Australia. But there is a surge in a virus called RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. It's particularly a virus of children. They get a condition called bronchiolitis. They can get very sick with it. And it's surged. Nobody understands why, but it has surged in the last few months. And it's surged around the world as well. And data that's emerging from the United States where they're seeing more kids with COVID seriously ill is that some of them are getting double infections. So they're getting COVID plus RSV. So it it just means that we need to keep our eyes open to other respiratory infections and try and control them as much as possible. But it also creates the imperative to vaccinate kids. So as soon as we're able to with safe vaccines, we should be um, vaccinating kids, not just for herd immunity. And by the way, Eddie Holmes doesn't believe we're going to get to herd immunity with Delta. It's just too infectious. But we will get to control and make it a safer virus. And While we've talked about herd immunity with children, another reason for vaccinating children is that it'll also protect them against serious illness if they get a double infection. With this double infection, are the kids more likely to get RSV because their immune systems are weakened because they've been infected with one virus and then the other one's jumping on? Or has the RSV mutated in a way that that makes it more likely to be transmissible at the moment? Like, what would be behind this? No, the surge in RSV has occurred in Australia as well as other countries and very very few children in Australia have had, have had SARS-CoV-2. So this is something that's happening with RSV, the respiratory syncytial virus, and nobody really understands why it's happening. So, Norman, it's been... It's been four days, not two days, since we last sort of checked in on what's happening around Australia, and it's the virus is really taking off in the last couple of days. Yeah, Northern Territory, ACT, and Victoria, as well as New South Wales. So Victoria, ACT, Northern Territory, they have a chance to get this under control. Uh, there are challenges. ACT and uh, Victoria border on New South Wales. The, the incursion rate is not absolutely clear. So they've got challenges, but um, they're going to go for lockdown for another two two weeks. So they've got a chance of getting this under control. And it's pretty fierce, the lockdown, particularly in Victoria. In New South Wales, the, the, the consensus among the epidemiologists that you speak to is that they're not going to get it back to zero spread. It's not showing any signs of turning around uh, anytime soon. 
vaccination is the way through to actually get it under some kind of control. And it is growing exponentially. And just to remind you what exponential growth is, is that it's like compound interest. The more cases you have, the faster it grows. So if you've got a growth rate of 1.1, then that means if, you, if you've got 10 cases, they grow to 11 cases over a cycle of the virus replicating. But if you've got 1.1 and you've got 400 cases, it goes up to 440. And that's the baseline for your next growth. 440 becomes whatever 1.1 times that is. And the current reproduction number, which is this growth rate, is 1.2. So it's even worse than that. So the more cases, the faster it grows. And that's the situation that New South Wales is in right now with no signs of turning around. Well, when we left our audience on Friday, Norman, we promised we'd come back and answer some of their questions this week. So let's get into that. And Natalie's asking what your view is about how the contact tracers are keeping up with this second wave in New South Wales. It feels to Natalie like they're really struggling now. They got a text on the 12th of August that they were a casual contact because of a a case that had visited uh, their local Woolworths when she'd been there two weeks earlier. So 13 days later, got tested, was negative. What's going on here? Look, Natalie's right. There are, or the implication of her um, question is right, is that the contact tracers do appear to be operating under strain. There's a growing number of mystery cases. They do seem to be contacting people fairly quickly, 90% in the first 24 hours after they've been identified for the first interview. But again, they they have stopped identifying all exposure sites. And uh, Jerry McNulty, who's the Deputy Chief Health Officer in New South Wales, basically says that low-risk situations such as supermarket shopping centres are not being declared anymore. It's more high-risk exposure sites that they're declaring now. Who knows what really is going on there? But if contact tracers are under stress, you don't want to add exposure sites that they think are low value. Right, so they're prioritising their workforce then. That's what the claim is, yes. But we have seen... Uh, supermarkets and shopping centres be higher risk environments in, uh, say, the Victorian outbreak. So how low risk are they? Yeah, there's been a couple of situations in Victoria. Well, this could be another situation where New South Wales hasn't learnt from Victoria. They didn't learn from Victoria in terms of the fact that it doesn't work going for an LGA strategy. You've got to go for a greater metropolitan strategy. And maybe they've not learnt from Victoria in terms of uh, the possibility that supermarkets and shopping centres are, in fact, places where you can get spread. And just because you haven't had many up till now in New South Wales doesn't mean you won't get them in the future. I suppose if you if all you can do is prioritise in some way, then you've got to, you've got to start somewhere. That's a nice way of putting it, Tegan. And a similar kind of question from Gus. We're hearing these test, uh, these testing result numbers each day, but Gus took five days to get their test result back. So Gus is asking, is the government really actually reporting infection rates from three to five days ago? Yes. So if you're seeing a positive result today, that could be a result that was recorded three to five days ago. So um, it is that is another compounding problem to the situation. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. Thanks for your patience while we had a couple of days off, but we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. See you then.